following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I remember when I was single, uh, going on trips, not really vacations, because when you're single, you, you, you kind of go on trips instead of vacations. Um, and I remember going on, on trips and what would happen is I'd, I'd plan to go for, you know, four or five days. I'd go visit friends somewhere and I would take either, either, either a backpack or one little bag. I was everything I needed. I could go two weeks on that if I needed to. I mean, there was a, a couple extra shirts and maybe one extra pair of pants and then we were good to go. Then I got married and had kids. Some of you are still at this point, and some of you are thinking back to this, but when you have babies, there is no such thing as a light, quick trip, because an overnight trip requires you to pack the entire house. You are taking everything you can find and throwing it in the car because you just don't know what you're going to need, and the thing is, you still don't know if you have everything you need because that child will ruin everything you put in the car. Now, here's the thing. No matter your situation, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're doing, it's hard to know if you have everything you need for that adventure that lies ahead, isn't it? It's almost impossible. If you're planning a trip, you're like, okay, do I, do I have enough clothes? Do I have enough warm clothes? Do I have enough socks? Do I have enough snacks for the road? Do I have the right, if you have kids, it's do I have the right bandages for every situation that might come up? And inevitably what happens is, and if you're like me, this happens five minutes into the drive, you have a moment of panic where you go, did, did we remember to bring everything? Did, do we have everything we need? See, we're never quite sure if we've got everything we need. When it comes to our journey of faith, diving into the deep waters of trust and hope and joy in Jesus Christ, In one way, we're never ready for the journey. We're never fully prepared for what God has in store for us. But we also remember that we have everything we need if, and this is a big if, if we are saturated in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his call to follow him in whatever lies ahead. And so the question I want to ask you today, and I want you to think about as we go through this passage, is this. Are you ready to take the leap and dive into the ever-deepening waters of a relationship with Jesus Christ? See, in Colossians 1, verses 1 and 2, we talked about what these deep waters are. Last week in verses 3 through 8, we discussed the, the life change of an encounter with the deep water. And now today in verses 9 through 14, we're going to find how God prepares us to dive in to those waters. And the first thing we need to realize is this, to dive into the deep waters of faith in Jesus Christ, we realize that we are fully equipped in Jesus. We are fully equipped in Jesus. This passage starts in verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. 
We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Paul says we are fully equipped in Jesus. The first thing he says is, hey, we are praying for you guys. He says we pray constantly for you. And what's he pray for the church? He prays that they would be filled in, in three areas. The first area is knowledge of God's will. He says, we pray that you would be filled with, God, with the knowledge of God's will. Right? The knowledge of God's will is knowing where God desires to lead you through Jesus. Okay, Knowledge of God's will doesn't mean you know which pair of pants you were supposed to wear to church today. Knowledge of God's will is knowing where God wants to take you, where he wants to lead you through your faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I want you to be full of God's will. I want you to be overflowing with this knowledge of God's will, what he wants to do in you, what he wants to do through you when you trust in Jesus Christ. And then he gives us the next two areas that he is praying for. And he says, he's praying for wisdom and spiritual understandings. Now, some of your translations, as you look at them, may say spiritual wisdom and understanding. It's because translating from Greek to English is not really an easy thing to do. Okay, in the, in the Greek text, it says, in the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit. All right, so some, some say that, that of the Spirit, that spiritual applies to wisdom and understanding. Some say it only applies to the understanding. Here's the deal. I'm going to give you the, the right answer today. Okay? It doesn't matter. <laughs> right? If you find somebody who wants to argue about this, realize they're missing the forest for the trees. Okay? Because all wisdom in God is spiritual wisdom. All understanding in the Lord is spiritual understanding. Okay? So, he, Paul prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and then wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge of God's will. Wisdom is saying, I know what God wants me to do through my faith in Jesus Christ. Wisdom says, okay, so how do I take that and now use that in my life? How does that apply to my everyday life? That is wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Understanding is... And the, the original word in the, the Greek language literally means to bind together. It's, it's from a word that means to bind together. Understanding is how you bind that knowledge of God's will to the application of God's will, that wisdom and that knowledge, how they come together. Understanding is formulating a kingdom-minded course of action. Right? It's not just about what I do in my life. It's about what I do in my life for the good and the sake of the kingdom. Right, so Paul is praying that the people will be filled with the knowledge of God's will, have the wisdom to apply that to their own lives, have the understanding to know how that fits into the kingdom of God. And we have to understand as we look at this, this prayer for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, that Having knowledge, wisdom, and understanding doesn't mean that we'll have all the answers to the ills of the world around us, right? We understand that. We, we will never have that. But what it means is that we'll see God's sovereignty and glory at work in every area of life. 
in every area of our lives, in every area of the life of the church, in every area of the lives of the people around us? How do we see God moving and working? How do we see his spirit pushing us forward into action? Paul prays for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Okay. Now here's what I think is really cool about this prayer from Paul. And I don't think I've ever seen this until I started studying this for, for this message. But do we see in this that Paul's not praying for the impossible? Think about that for a second. Paul's not praying for the impossible. He's not saying knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Man, that's what we aspire to, but you'll never get there. Oh, he prays that the believers would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with wisdom and with understanding. What that means is that that is available to us. Right? He prays that the church would receive what God has offered them. Our takeaway from that should be that we understand the divine equipping that God gives us. The equipping that God gives to you through Jesus Christ. That God makes everything available that you need for a life of faith and for godliness in that life. Which is what Peter tells us in in 2 Peter 1.3, where he says God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He doesn't say God gives you most of what you need. Good luck with the rest. He says God will equip you We need knowledge and wisdom and understanding in our lives if we're going to swim the depth of faith and of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also need to know that that's not acquired by some great mystery or some magical formula or incantation that we have to throw out there to hopefully figure out some way to get a little bit of this stuff. It's all simply a matter of our submission and surrender to Jesus Christ. When we will submit our lives and surrender fully to Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, he will give us a knowledge of God's will. He will give us wisdom. He will give us understanding. How? Isn't that the next question? Well, great, that sounds really good. That sounds nice from this like high theological level. But what does that mean in my life? How do I submit and surrender to Jesus Christ in a way that brings me to that place to accept the gift of a knowledge of God's will, of wisdom and spiritual understanding? I'm glad you asked. There are a lot of ways. Let me give you a few. Let me give you a couple of real simple things. First, You ready for this? You'll be surprised at this first one, I promise. First, prayer. Whoa! Never heard that come up ever before, right? Sunday school answer. We always go to prayer. Why? Because Sunday school answers are good answers. Where do we start? We start with prayer. You want to grow to know God's will, to have wisdom, to have understanding, you start with prayer. Right, James 1, 5, James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should what? Ask God, and God will give it to him generously. 
It starts by that conversation with God, surrendering and submitting ourselves to him, saying, God, I can't do any of this stuff. I need you. Lord, you give me what you need to give me, what you want to give me, and I will accept it and be ready. It starts with prayer. Second, study of God's word. Again, shocker, right? We need to spend time in the word if we want to grow in a knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and understanding. Why? Because knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that don't align with God's word are not knowledge, wisdom, or understanding. They are foolishness. They are self-centered foolishness. You show me the smartest logical thinker whose mind does not align with the truth of God's word, I'll show you a fool. We want to grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We must spend time. We must know God's word because we need to align with God's word. Three, discipleship. We need to spend time in and with the body of Christ. This is so important for us because I hate to break this to you. You're not perfect. I'm not either. Welcome to the club. We need people around us who can help us see what God is doing. Sometimes we just need a second pair of eyes to go, hey, snap out of it. I know you don't like this one thing in your life, but look at all of these great things God is doing. Right? We, we, need, we need people around us. We need discipleship. How else do we continue to grow in knowledge and wisdom and understanding? Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest is a surrender of our time and our energy and our plans to God. Sabbath rest says, yeah, God, there is too much in my life to get done in seven days. And so I'm only going to work for six. And I'm going to give you the seventh. It's a surrender and a submission. Not only is, and, and, and not only is it obedience to God, because throughout Scripture, God says Sabbath rest is important. Right? Not only is it a, a, a valuable psychological and physical rest, but if we want to grow in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, we must be obedient to God. We must seek Sabbath rest. Let me give you one more. Loving service. Loving service. You will never know God's will. You will never be wise. You will never have understanding if you are the center of your world. It just won't happen. Loving service takes focus off of ourselves, off of our desires, off what we think we deserve, what we have earned, what we should be given. And says, God, because you have loved me, because you have saved me, because you have served me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I will serve others. I will reflect your love in my service to others. Right? We could go on down the list. We could come up with tons and tons and tons of ways to do this. But the important thing is understand that with all of this, God has given us everything we need in order to have a knowledge of his will, wisdom, and understanding. The question is whether we will accept it. So have we sought out the promised and provided preparation for a deep dive with Jesus Christ? In Jesus, we are fully equipped. But we're never equipped 
so that we can just sit on our hands. To dive deep into the waters of faith, we also must realize that Jesus equips us to act. Jesus equips us to act. We continue in Colossians 1, verses 10 through 12. And Paul writes, so that, and, and, and so that is, he's asking that the, the church would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Jesus equips us to act. Paul's prayer for the church, that they would be filled, that they would be overflowing with this knowledge and wisdom and understanding, is so that they would have a walk worthy of the Lord. If you've studied scripture much, you know this idea of a walk is this, this Jewish idiom that means to conduct your life in a certain specific way. Right? The true believer's walk is one that is meant to be consistent with their status as saints. Right, to have a walk worthy of the Lord means that our lives, the way we live, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act, all of that aligns with who God has called us to be, as he has called us to be saints. Last week, we talked about a man named Epaphras. He was a model to the church in Colossae. This was a man whose life, whose walk was worthy of the Lord, not because he was special or he was sinless, but because he modeled Christ to the church and showed them how to live constantly and consistently in light of the gospel. And Paul says, we're praying for you so that your life would be consistent with the truth of the gospel. And then Paul does something else as he continues in these verses. Right? He, he doesn't just say, hey, I want you guys to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord. I want you to live a walk worthy of the Lord. He goes on to describe what that means. Verses, uh, the second half of 10 through 12 tells what that life looks like. And first he says that that life, a life that is consistent with the truth of the gospel, it bears fruit and it grows. Which, again, he's just talked about that last week. If you remember last week, we talked about how the gospel was bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it had in Colossae. And now he says, your life should bear fruit and grow. He says, a a healthy and consistent faith shows signs of life. How do you you look outside your house and know that that tree in your front yard is alive or dead? A a living tree has leaves, has buds, has flowers. A dead tree is dried up sticks. There's an external sign of the life that is happening on the inside. And Paul says you want to live a life, a walk worthy of the Lord. You bear fruit and you grow. Show externally that life that is changed inside of you. And then verses 11 and 12, he, 
we can sum what he says up here, and he says, a life that is a walk worthy of the Lord is one that matures. Not only does it grow and bear fruit, but it matures. And this is the expected result of growing and bearing fruit. He says that you, you have endurance, right? Endurance is staying focused on the mission at hand, pursuing God's will in spite of everything going on around you. You continue to move forward even when the situation looks dark. You have endurance, and endurance develops patience. Patience is trusting what God's going to do with the result. Patience is walking forward in the Lord and going, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't know how any of this stuff is going to happen in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. But I trust in what, who God is and what he has done. And so I will be patient. I'm not going to get what I want right now. I may never get what I want this side of eternity. But I can be patient in the Lord because I know he is good. So there's endurance that develops patience. And from enduring patience, we come to a joyful gratitude. Joyful gratitude that is constantly remembering God's mighty acts and looking forward to his gracious love. David does this so well. This endurance, patience, and joyful gratitude. If we, we study uh, Psalm 32, and if, if, if you want to turn over to Psalm 32, you can turn over to Psalm 32. But Psalm 32, many scholars believe, is a, a companion piece to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's prayer of confession and repentance before the Lord for his sin with Bathsheba. But Psalm 32, watch how David walks through this. I'm, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read several sections in here. Starting with verse 1 and 2. David says, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, is David fully free of deceit and iniquity? No, absolutely not. You study David's life. He has some great mountaintop experiences, but he has some great depths in his story. So how can he pray this? Because he's focused on God's will. He says, yeah, I messed up. I blew it. But I repented. And God in his goodness, his mercy, his forgiveness has, has washed me clean, has made me whole. And it goes down in verse 7, and he says, you are my hiding place. You, God, are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. You hear the patience? David says, I'm not where I want to be. He says, I'm in trouble. I got dangers all around me. But how do I respond with joyful shouts of deliverance? He says, I'm patient because my God delivers. In verses 10 and 11, he says, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Joyful gratitude. He says, yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, I've seen trouble. Yes, I know that trouble is not done. But I will worship my God because he is good and he has loved me and I will rejoice in him always and in all things. Endurance, patience, 
and joyful gratitude. That's a walk worthy of the Lord. And like the Colossians, our goal of this walk worthy of the Lord isn't about us gathering information, us having more answers at our fingertips. It's about a heart level transformation because that is what is required, a heart level transformation. A Christian with a lot of head knowledge who is unable to act, who is unable to take that head knowledge and transfer it into a walk worthy of the Lord is useless. Anybody offended yet? A Christian with a lot of head knowledge who cannot transfer that to a work, a walk worthy of the Lord is useless. Again, James, in James 2.14 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't have works? Can such faith save him? Right, and he's not arguing for a salvation by works. But he's expressing what Martin Luther said and has been paraphrased many times over, that faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. If we truly believe what we say we believe, how would it not transfer into action? How could we say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is exactly who he says he is. I believe he saved me. I believe he sacrificed himself to wash me clean, even though I am the worst of sinners, even though there's no reason he should ever come after me, and yet he left everything to love me and save me. But that doesn't mean anything for you people. That's about me. I'm good. Listen, if we don't want to act on our faith, what's the point? Because we really don't believe the truth of the gospel. God does not promise to bless us so that we'll feel good about sitting around on our hands until we die. He has work for us to do. And I don't care if you're two years old. I don't care if you're 92 years old. God has work for you to do. It looks different for every one of us. But God has work for you to do. The question is, are we being filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that we know how to take that knowledge and wisdom and understanding and put it into practice so that we live a walk that is worthy of the Lord? Because Jesus has equipped you for the work that he has in store for you. Just as he's equipped me for the work he has in store for me. But he's equipped us for a reason. He's equipped us to act. Are we seeking out what God has equipped us and prepared us to do? Do we seek that in our lives? Do we ask that question? God, what are you preparing me to do? What would you have me do? With the ways you have equipped me, how do you want me to serve your kingdom? We know that Jesus equips us to serve God's will with wisdom and understanding. And if we know that Jesus has equipped us and he has equipped us to act, 
And as Paul tells us in verse 13 and 14, we can act confidently in Jesus. We act confidently in Jesus. He closes verse 13 and 14. He says, he, he, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We act confidently, right? It is God's will that we are rescued from darkness and brought into the light. He says he rescues us from what? The domain of darkness. The domain of darkness is the natural state of mankind, where we are ruled by the fleshly nature, which always leads to sin and evil and wickedness. If, not, if you don't believe that, or you think, no, 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 people are, people are generally good. Right? You're not paying attention. Right, because we could talk about elementary school shootings in Texas. We could talk about church shootings in California. We could talk about laws and rules all over this country that are meant to dehumanize, beat down, hold back, and oppress. We live in a domain of darkness. But, but, God says you live, you exist in this domain of darkness. But he has transferred us. He has transferred us. He has taken our citizenship. He has taken our our place in that domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves. In Christ We are moved from the darkness of human nature to the light of Jesus. Jesus, the ruler of all kingdoms in all places and at all times. Jesus, who is the conqueror of the darkness by his glorious light. In Christ, we have been set free from darkness and set free to the light. This is God's will for us. This is why he sent Jesus. Because he showed us through the entire Old Testament how we couldn't make our way from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. He says, here, I'll show you. He gives us step-by-step guides of how to get from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the light. Every single law, every single rule, every single instruction in the Old Testament says, if you do all of this perfectly, you can transfer yourself from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And you know who succeeded there? Nobody. But instead of leaving us in the domain of darkness, God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in the manger in Bethlehem, to live perfectly, to die sacrificially so he can rise victoriously, to deliver us completely from the domain of darkness and deliver us to the kingdom of the son he loves. Listen, God has purposefully redeemed you. And if that's the case, which it is, don't you think he has a purpose for that redemption? Don't you think God knows what he's doing? He has redeemed you for a purpose. 
that purpose is that we would live that walk that is worthy of the Lord with endurance, patience, and joyful gratitude so that we can take the truth of the gospel, the truth of that son he loves to a lost, broken, and hurting world around us that we might be his ambassadors in this world. That is the purpose. And that is hard work. Amen? That is hard work. The Christian life, the Christian life is not an easy life. It's a simple life. But it is not easy. It will cost us, it will exhaust us, and it will consume us. That's why Jesus in Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. And he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, here's the thing with that passage. We like to focus on the easy and light part, don't we? We like the easy and light part, but we miss that he says, My burden and my yoke. You know what the burden and the yoke imply? that there's work to do, and work is hard. Work requires effort. But he says there's a purpose. He says the work is hard. He says, but it holds a glorious reward. When we walk worthy of the Lord, it will be difficult. It will be challenging. It will be painful at times, but it will be glorious. Why? Because only when our walk is worthy of the Lord do we understand that everything we do, all of our work, all of our effort is not in vain. Because Jesus has already won. Jesus has already completed the work. We get to support that. We get to do what he has called us to do so that we get to be a part of his victory. And if we know that the victory is already won, doesn't that make the act a little easier? Doesn't that give us more confidence? It's not a, hey, I'm doing this, and man, I hope this works out. Oof. Let's, man, God, I'd, maybe you'll do something. I know you called me to do this, but eh. No, we have confidence because Jesus has already won. That means we have already won, not because of who we are, but because we are united in him and through him. We are given his victory. So we act confidently. Listen, the the deep waters of true, meaningful, life-changing faith in the life, death, resurrection, and reign of Jesus Christ are ready for us to experience in absolutely incredible ways today. God's love poured out through Jesus and made known to us through the work of the Holy Spirit beckons us to dive in. To do so, we must remember that Jesus has prepared the hearts of those who surrender and submit to him to live under his power and his authority. He has prepared us with everything we need. He has called us to act upon what he has made known to us. And he has called us to go deeper and deeper with increased confidence because our success has nothing to do with our meager abilities, but everything to do with his glorious might. Church family, may we not simply leave this place today with the truth of God's word in our heads 
or some call to action in our ears. But may we go full of the knowledge of God's will, wisdom, and spiritual understanding in such a way that we cannot contain our faith. Let us go with new, changed hearts that are ready to dive in to the deep waters of our faith and to share the truth and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ with every step we take in the week ahead. May we go and walk worthy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, you are so good. And we are so grateful for who you are. Thankful for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thankful for the fact that while we are by our own nature lost and broken people, you have continued to love us. And you continue to desire to use us for your kingdom's sake. And so, Lord, we repent of all the ways that we've tried to push you into the back seat and say, hey, we know all this stuff, but we don't really want to do what God has called us to do. We ask that you just remind us of the the glorious riches of your kingdom and of your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness that has been poured out upon us so that we can go and share that with the world around us to take the only meaningful hope that there is and to share that. And Lord, may you be glorified in our walk this week. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.